I want you to imagine you're heading into your favorite uh, supermarket or Home Depot or something like that, and there are a couple kids that are giving away the cutest puppies and kitties you've ever seen. Oh my gosh. And uh, against your better judgment, you really, really want one. I mean, after all, how could you not want one of these? Oh, I know, they're so cute. So, um, so I mean, I know, that, I know that you're like, we're not getting a pet. But can you imagine that for some reason, if you had to, you could add a puppy or kitty to your life right now? I mean, we, mo- most of us could figure that out. Uh, and, but now imagine, instead, you have been invited to be in charge of rescuing hundreds of uh, homeless cats and dogs in our city. You've been put in charge of that. Can you imagine doing that, add that to your life? No way. It's impossible. I mean, it's an overwhelming challenge, and you don't have nearly the resources you would want. But here's the interesting thing. We know people who have done this, not necessarily with cats and dogs, but we've known people who have, um, you know, they're just living their lives like all of us, and then something catches hold of them, and then they get to studying it, and then they get excited about it, and soon becomes a passion, and it changes their life, and they become totally involved in this something, and it makes a difference in other people's lives as well. Uh, I, I can think of half a dozen people like that. That's the way God works, is that he, he, he gets people engaged in his work. So how does he do it? Um, one of the people that I know that is a great example of this is a friend of mine named Brenda Wells. She's a member of the church in San Clemente where I was. And uh, Brenda uh, was uh, a mom, uh, a wife, uh, an art consultant, uh, whatever that, I don't even know what that is, but she was an art consultant. And uh, then her uh, husband is in the military, and so they were shipped overseas. Evidently, no artists to consult over there, so she mostly uh, volunteered. And uh, they would watch uh, Armed Forces television occasionally, and uh, there would, uh, they would have uh, public service announcements. And she remembers now, looking back, she'd heard occasionally a public service announcement to servicemen saying, hey, listen, when you go on leave, just understand that perhaps some of the people that you meet may not be just looking for a good time. They may be uh, trapped in human trafficking and uh, want you to be aware of that, not be involved in any of that. And she, she remembers that, but it wasn't significant, had nothing to do with her. She didn't really pay any attention to it. Uh, after a couple years abroad, they came back, went, started going back to the church in San Clemente, uh, and Brenda read this heartbreaking book about... Um, children in sex slavery and how parents were tricked into selling their children into sex slavery. And she had tears in her eyes and she wondered, what could I possibly do? But it was overwhelming. It was back overseas. It was all happening over there somewhere, thousands of miles away. Um, And too big, too far away for her to do anything. Then one morning she's sitting in church And in the church bulletin, there's an announcement for an information meeting about human trafficking. And she says, oh, I need need to go to that. And uh, the thing that was interesting and different was that these people were not talking about something far away overseas. 
These were people talking about human trafficking in hotels in Southern California. She'd never heard of that before. She thought, That's, I, I, I never even knew such a thing happened. But now, it wasn't as overwhelming because it was something close. It was something local. But the people didn't have any suggestions. It was, a, it, was, it was a raising awareness kind of meeting. It wasn't a, so here's what you can do meeting. So she was still kind of struggling and thinking about it. Um, uh, but now uh, she could focus uh, her attention on it a little bit more. Uh, but she didn't know what to do. She had completely inadequate resources. She wasn't a police officer. She wasn't a social worker. Uh, she didn't know anybody in any hotels, so she was stuck. No idea. And then there was another meeting. And in this one, the only thing she remembers from the meeting is that the person leading it asked a very simple question. It was this, where are you already and what can you do there? And it lit up for her. She, she said, oh, I live in San Clemente. We're a tourist town. We have hotels. The biggest hotel in town is right down the street from my house. I can make a phone call. So she, called the gen the, she asked for the general manager at the hotel, and amazingly, he was there, took her call. They talked. It took several more calls, several more emails, but eventually he was interested, a man named Todd, and together they did a training for the hotel employees about, uh, about human trafficking. And that got her going, and then she met some women who had come out of it, who had been survivors, and she did some life skills training, and that got going, and Todd actually quit his job and became a full-time volunteer to work with her, and she's now the president, the founder of I-5 Freedom Network that trains hotels and does life skill training for survivors of human trafficking. Oh my gosh, from art consultant to founder and president. How does that happen? It, it's, it's amazing. But as I say, I'm sure that you know some people like that who've had that kind of experience. It turns out, by the way, there is a real need for that. Um, what she has said is that 100% of the managers of the hotels who have come to her training come with the assumption that they have no problem in their hotel but they are you know they're coming for and 100 percent discover that they do in hotels up and down the i-5 corridor wow um so god works this way god prepares people like brenda and like us to be part of god's work in the world scripture tells us that god knows the plans he has for us plans for a future and a hope we're also told that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine. And we can imagine a lot, right? And God is preparing us for more than we can imagine, preparing us to be part of his incredible plans for this world. He wants his people to be involved in his plans for this world. He, um, so how does, how does he do it? How does God prepare us for new, bigger opportunities in life. Uh, and it turns out that overwhelming challenges and inadequate resources are two of God's favorite tools in his toolbox for preparing his people. And we find these in many of the encounters that Jesus has with people. Now, we are in a series called Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind, 
And we've said that even as we look at, uh, they, they aren't one-on-one experiences that we have, but as we look at Scripture and see Jesus engaging with others, we, our lives can be changed by those things. And this is an example. We find both of these tools in the story that we call the feeding of the 5,000. I'm reading it out of the Gospel of John. So let's take a look at John chapter 6. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Well, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take this scripture and use it in our lives. Uh, This pretty familiar story of feeding people miraculously, is there something in it for us as you seek to prepare us for lives uh, possibly different than the lives we have now? So we pray, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. So most of the time, I'm assuming most of us have heard sermons or teaching on this particular text, and it's always focused on the miracle of feeding. It could have been 10,000 people. Uh, And so we, you know, you hear about different kinds of things about that. But I think that this story is equally about training the disciples, preparing them for more. Um, And... uh, so, so here's what I want us to do. I, you know how you can pinch your map screen and, and, uh, you know, and widen it and go very close in on a specific place? I want us to zoom in on the preparation of the disciples in this text, and not focusing completely on the miracle of 5,000 being fed. Um, I, wanna, I want us to look at how God... Uh, develops us to be ready for more than we are ready for today. And the first thing is that God's first tool is overwhelming challenge. Overwhelming challenge. Uh, I think the disciples were pretty, pretty excited about what was going on. I mean, up until now, Jesus has been talking to, you know, tens of people in small groups, and, and now suddenly five to 10,000 people show up to hear him, and, and the disciples are excited about, wow, so, so, so now people can hear and know Jesus the way we know him. It's so exciting. Um, but I think at least one disciple's euphoria gets dashed pretty quickly, Philip, when Jesus calls him over. Philip, come here. And then he says to the crowd, talk amongst yourselves for a minute. And he says, <clears throat> he says Philip, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? And I think in that moment, if I was Philip, I would, I would freak out. I'd be like, wait, wait, am I in charge of food? What, did I miss a meeting? 
and I got nominated for food? How, what? How is that going to happen? And, and, and so Philip says, I have no idea how we're going to feed 5,000 people. In his head, he says that. Of course, you don't talk to Jesus like that. So, you know, what he says to Jesus is, well, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Uh, and I want to say, to his credit, Philip puts some thought into solving Jesus' problem, trying to do what, uh, what really is an impossible task. Uh, it's not humanly possible to accomplish what Jesus was asking him to do, but he tries to figure it out in his own power, with his own resources, just the way we try to solve our problems. Uh, and, uh, but no matter how he looked at it, it was an overwhelming challenge. So just to make sure we're all engaged, I want to ask you, what challenge are you facing today? Not all of us are facing overwhelming challenges, but we have and we will. And all of us face something. What's an overwhelming challenge? Well, I've had several people over time uh, say, I don't know how to help my son or my daughter or my parent when I can't solve their problems for them. That's overwhelming. I know someone who's asked the question, how can I live the rest of my life with my spouse if they keep doing blank? Wow, overwhelming. I have dear friends who've asked, how can we fully live and fully love when we can't have children? Overwhelming challenges. And it's totally appropriate for us to want and expect and anticipate that God's going to be involved in in helping us with our challenges, and he does as we pray and in community, sometimes in miraculous ways, but also sometimes God is using overwhelming challenges to prepare us for more, Uh, just the way he did with Brenda. Um, And Philip, Jesus never intended Philip to solve the problem of the food. It says so right there in the text, uh, right away. He says he, didn't, he already knew what he was going to do. He was just doing this to test him. So uh, we have the inside scoop. But like many of us, Philip limited his possibilities to what he could figure out on his own. Uh, I think he did a quick calculation. He said, oh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. I mean, I, how much money have I got? How much money have the 12 got? Well, if we asked our moms and their, you know, we could probably come up with eight months' wages, which, to his credit, that's pretty amazing. I could not come up with eight months' wages right now, all right? But I think he's thought, well, we could, I could do that. And so he realizes, though, that eight months' wages would not be enough uh, bread for each one to have a bite. Now, that's what he says to Jesus. But here's what I want to say. Uh, thank goodness Jesus is gracious, because I think if he weren't, weren't gracious, he said, Did I ask you to give them all a bite? I wasn't asking you for that. I was asking you to feed them. Ah, but the problem with that is that Jesus has big, soul-searching, mind-bending, game-changing ideas for this world. And he wants his people to be a part of those plans, including us. Uh, And probably none of them are humanly possible to accomplish. Uh, So we need to learn from Philip, and this is our second point, don't limit Jesus to what you can imagine or figure out on your own. That's what he was doing. He can only figure out eight months' wages. And he says, well, uh, that's just a bite. We we do that. 
we're used to figuring out things the best way we know how with the human intuition and grit that has gotten us this far in life. And sometimes that means we do what Philip did. We limit ourselves to what we can figure out and uh, limit what we're willing to believe Jesus can do in our lives to within the context of what we can imagine. And Jesus refused to be limited uh, by Philip in his bare minimum kind of thinking. Instead of spending our time only trying to resolve our challenges, let's be open to where this challenge might be leading us. There's more to the challenges in our lives. I I often mention a mentor of mine, Dallas Willard. Years ago, Dallas was uh, heading to South Africa for a a speaking tour uh, several weeks long. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity. And so I I asked him, can I come with you? And he was very gracious. He just said, well, why don't you pray about it? Okay, that was a good suggestion. Um, You remember when Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can pray and ask that this mountain be removed and it will be removed and cast into the sea. That's the kind of prayer I was needing to pray. This was a mountain that I was facing for, because my employer wouldn't give me the time off to go for weeks away, and I didn't have the $10,000 that it was going to cost me, and Dallas said, the thing is, Neil, it could be dangerous. It was a really rough time. That's why he was going uh, to South Africa. So um, here's what I was praying, pr- particularly including praying for Carolyn that she would allow me to um, quit my job to spend $10,000 we don't have to go on a trip I might not come back from. That's mountain moving prayer. And uh, I think uh, she will tell you that she's happy uh, that uh, I didn't actually go. Uh, it, It didn't work out. But praying about that kind of an opportunity opened me up to the idea of bigger challenges, bigger than I can imagine, not limiting myself to what I can figure out So here's a prayer that we can pray when we come to things like this. We can pray, Lord, please use this challenge to develop faith in me and to prepare me for my future in your plan. How about that? Instead of just, Lord, take this away, we could pray, well, Lord, take this away, but while it's here, please use this challenge to develop faith in me and to prepare me for my future in your plan. So let's go back to... Philip. Um, In the moment, Philip is stuck. He can't get past the concrete human reality that eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of us to have even a bite. And so, just like that, the the moment passes from him. Now, things are going to happen, but they're not going to happen through Philip. Uh, he's, He's stuck in trying to figure out how he can do it. Uh, And so, um, while he's wringing his hands and he's counting his money, Andrew comes up with this crazy momentary flash of faith. Uh, But Andrew has an advantage that Philip doesn't have. Remember I said there are two tools that God uses. With Philip, he's using overwhelming challenge. uh, But he has a second tool, uh, and that's the one that uh, Andrew experiences. It's this. God's second tool is inadequate resources. Andrew's standing in the back, and he's probably very glad that he's in the second or third row of disciples. 
He's like, you go for it, Philip. Get up there in the front. <laughs> you haven't learned yet. I'm just staying back here. And, uh, but he's getting hungry, you know, and he's looking around and uh, sees this bread, pull out a little piece, this, this kid pull out a little piece of pita bread, right? These are little buns. These aren't loaves. These are, you know, five little biscuits and a couple fish. And um, uh, and, and maybe he's, like I say, maybe he's getting a little bit hungry, or maybe it's Jesus' question to Philip that gets Andrew started. Um, but he now realizes, yep, there's an overwhelming challenge, and seriously, this is all we got? This is a totally inadequate resource for what we need. Now, before I finish with Andrew, let me put these two men aside for a minute, Andrew and Philip. I'm going to set them aside uh, and zoom back out to the bigger picture um, going on in this crowd of people, of disciples, and of Jesus. And we're focusing on this very narrow part about how uh, Jesus is preparing them. Uh, and I just want us to see how intentional he is about that. Because we, as I say, we usually think this is a story about faith and how God can work and feed these 5,000 people. And it's so easy to get caught up in the miracle of the multitude that we miss the training and the preparation of the disciples. Uh, and so here's what, I just want to, I, I just want to reread this point, the story, if Jesus was only there to feed the 5,000. See, he could have done that. So let's take a look. If, it, if the scripture had, if that was different, it would have said, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, have the people sit down. Then he saw a boy with some fish and loaves and said to the boy, would you share those with me? Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they needed. He didn't need the disciples at all. That's actually what he ended up doing. But before he did it, he brought Philip and Andrew into it. So see, this is the point. He, he really was like, okay, we're going to use this as a teaching moment. Uh, and so it really isn't only about the feeding of the 5,000. It's about the training of the disciples and, frankly, us. Um, so, it, in fact, if we aren't quite sure, the text itself says uh, he's doing this to test Peter. Okay, this is one of the only times you're ever going to hear me say in Greek, uh, in Greek, the word for test could actually uh, be translated to prove, to prove. But it's like, hmm, that's weird. So uh, they say test. But you see, we test kids to know how much they know. But we prove, we test jets to prove how much they can do, right? So you have test pilots who push jet fighters as hard as they possibly can to prove how far they can go uh, with, you know, so far. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, okay, we've been doing this. this we're in John chapter 6. We've been doing this for six chapters. Let me check and see how you guys are doing. Um, after all, they've already experienced a lot in the little time. Uh, so far, the disciples have seen Jesus turn many gallons of water into wine. And this is all in, in John. They've seen him heal uh, a leader's son who was on uh, the verge of death. And he's seen a crippled man at the pool of Bethesda uh, just be raised up and healed. That's amazing stuff. So what have Philip and the others done with that information? Uh, each of those miracles would be an overwhelming challenge 
for them and far beyond their ability and resources to accomplish. Zero. If we were waiting for Philip and Andrew to turn water into wine, we'd still be waiting, right? They'd had water to drink. So it was way beyond their ability. And so far, so far, they have only watched Jesus do miracles. Now Jesus is saying, I want you to get involved in the miracle. Let's see how you guys do. Yikes! That's like, ah, you know what? How about those guys first time, Jesus? Use them. I'm happy to keep watching. Um, so he's testing them to see if they will, and this is our fourth point, have confidence because of what they've seen Jesus do before. We need to have confidence because of what we have seen Jesus do before. Jesus has worked in your life. You've seen him in the lives of others. People say, well, how can you prove Jesus is, is real? Well, all I can tell you is what I've experienced. And it's real. I've seen it. I've experienced it. So we need to look back and see what God has done in our lives and, and, and not forget it because so often, oh yeah, well he saved me that time at the 11th hour. I love that Dick said, at the 11th hour he saved me the last time, but it's 11.15. He hadn't saved me yet. This time it's not going to work. No, have confidence based on what we've known from the past. Um, and uh, so progress and even miracles occur in our lives when these three elements come together. So I have a preparation equation, and it goes like this. Overwhelming challenges plus inadequate resources times confidence equals preparation for what God is going to do next. Overwhelming challenges plus inadequate resources times our confidence. We're in there somewhere. How much confidence do we have in what God is able to do? Uh, equals preparation for the greater things as part of God's plan for this world. So uh, here's Andrew in the middle of an overwhelming challenge of meeting the needs of 5,000 people, and he has the totally inadequate resources of of this bread and fish, and most importantly, he has the benefit of having seen Jesus turn water into wine, heal a sick boy, raise a crippled, and he has the confidence And it all clicks together. And he raises his hand from the back of the room. Jesus, pick me. Pick me. And uh, Jesus, yes. Andrew, yes. What would you like to say? And, um, and, and, And he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I want you to feel the adrenaline that Andrew has. This is what faith does. It kicks us into high gear. Normally, we wouldn't stand up at all. You know, we ask, would you volunteer for this? No, I'm not making eye contact. I'm not doing it. And and it's like, but but something, you know, it's like, I'm in. I'll do it. That's how Andrew, he's like, oh, look at, I I have confidence. I've seen what he, I mean, he had no wine and he turned all the water into it. He could do this. That's where I think he's, uh, the limitations don't matter, which is this exciting moment. He's on a spiritual high, the kind that we long to experience. It doesn't happen staying seated. It happens when we get caught off guard and we're like against our best judgment. I think I believe this. Uh, But (laughs) it passes very quickly, you know, that kind of faith. And it did for him too. In the seconds it takes Andrew to walk this boy to the front, what, five feet? He says, Jesus, 
I got a kid here. He's got some bread and some fish, and he gets up to the front. And, uh, you know, maybe the other disciples are like, hey, you go for it, dude. <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever doubt he saw, or maybe he looked up and he saw, oh, my gosh, there's 10,000 people here. Something, you know, something just like Peter who, you know, walks on water, and then he looks around and he goes, I can't walk on water, you know, and sing. so he gets this kid, he goes, we got bread and fish. He gets him up here and he goes, but how far will that go among so many? Oh, can you feel it? But how far will that go among so many? But I think, Pete, I think Jesus gives him credit. Hey, at least you came up with it, you know, good job. You know, now we just gotta, we just gotta lengthen that faith a little bit. Um, for a minute, Andrew saw the world through Jesus' eyes. For a minute, he lived where Jesus lives, where water could become wine and bread and fish could feed a, become a feast. He got a glimpse of the kingdom of God where what God wants to have happen happens. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's where Jesus lives. And for a minute, his overwhelming circumstances and inadequate resources combined with a renewed, refreshed faith to believe the impossible was possible. For a minute, he lived where Jesus always lived, where God's abundance is enough. And Jesus took the bread, and he took the fish, and he did more than anybody could possibly have imagined. So we need all three. We, we, we get the challenges, and we, ha- and we know we have inadequate resources, but we have to have that confidence so I'm going to give you uh, some next steps. Now, there are like five or six steps, and I'm just going to run through them quickly, but they're in your notes, and uh, they're also uh, a new version. Uh, so if you don't have that, I wouldn't try to write these all down. But I want us to start with confidence, because that's the piece that we bring to the table. We need to have confidence in what God can do based on what we've seen him do in the past. So you might take some time and just sit. This would be an amazing week-long devotional uh, that you spend you know, minutes or uh, tens of minutes each day thinking through each one of these questions. First question, what in your life have you seen, where, when in your life have you seen God work? So you write out the circumstances, the challenge, the resources, what God did. When in your life have you seen God work? And two, based on your experience of God at work in your life, finish this sentence. I have confidence God can. Wow. What do you have God, confidence God can do? What, what can he do? Listen, if it's very little, that's okay. Start with that. I have confidence God can do this. Great. But as you look back at those things, what do you have confidence God can do? And then we look at our challenges and our resources. What challenges are you facing today? What are your resources and are they adequate to the task? And then you put those three together And question five is, based on what you have learned, might Jesus be preparing you for more? Wow. You know what? Even if it doesn't get you out of your challenge, how great is it to go, oh, you know what? God's involved. He's involved. He's got something more for me. I can't wait to see what that is. And then pray this, Lord, please use this challenge to develop faith in me and to prepare me for my future and your plan, what we've already talked about. So when life brings overwhelming challenges and inadequate resources, let's, and this is number five, recognize God may be preparing you for more. He may be preparing us for more. Maybe he is. 
He is. He's preparing us for more. We think of the big life-changing stories like Brenda, and, and we think, I don't want that. Yeah, of course not. That's Brenda. If you ask Brenda, she had to go to the meetings. It's, it's her life. She wanted to be a part of this. It was a joy for her. But that's not your calling. That's not mine. Um, he's, God wants to be at work in the world, and he wants his people to be involved, and there are jobs for all of us. It's as simple as, it's as, simple as God wants us involved. We should be involved. Uh, and you and I can make big differences in our own worlds, in our own ways, and literally it might be as simple as taking someone to lunch. And I'll just tell you, I'll close with a story about Mary, one of uh, the survivors in Brenda's program. Now, I don't know. Brenda doesn't know how Mary ended up in human trafficking. Um, They don't tell their story very easily or very readily. But it is not uncommon for women who are trapped. They're They're not prostitutes because they've chosen that lifestyle. They are trapped by and controlled by someone. And oftentimes their mother was a prostitute, their father was a pimp. They just they have no chance. And uh, but somehow Mary got out, and uh, she made it to one of the life training events that um, Brenda was leading. And I mean, you want to talk about start and small. Sure, they eventually teach you how to write a resume and apply for a job, but they also teach you how to make eye contact, how to shake hands, what to wear. They don't know anything. They haven't lived in our world. And after a morning of all of that, Brenda takes them to lunch at a real sit-down restaurant. I don't mean something fancy, but someplace where they have waiters and waitresses and they come and they serve them because they've never been. And they learn how to order off a menu. And the amazing thing is the other people in the restaurant pay no attention to them. They don't even notice that this table of women is sitting together. But if they do notice them, they see them as patrons, not as merchandise. And it changed Mary's outlook on life. Later, she said to Brenda, I got to be a part of something I've always heard about but never done. I was in a business lunch. Wow. So simple, so small, and yet life-changing for a person like that. We can be a part of God's world-changing plans, starting where we are with the challenges and resources that we have. But we can also wonder and even ask, is God preparing us for something more? Let's pray.